18 minutes it is before 9 p.m. We're under the microscope this evening and uh, sharpening our focus on inequality and uh, the uh, unpaid reproductive and social reproductive work undertaken by black women in South Africa. And uh, this uh, triggered, of course, and uh, provoked by a report from Oxfam South Africa titled Reclaiming Power, a Women's Work and Income Inequality in South Africa. And uh, touching on a few, uh, I guess, uh, data points that I found quite interesting. Average South African CEO takes home as much as 461 uh, uh, of 461 times more than what uh, black women at the bottom 10% of the distribution earn on average. And uh, this is according to uh, the report that was released yesterday. Uh, uh, really shining a spotlight on black women and uh, their role at the center of the intersecting axes of inequality uh, perpetuated by race, class, education, geography, gender, and employment. And to tell us a bit more about this report and the work that's gone into it, I'm joined by Dr. Basani Baloy, who's uh, the inequality lead in the Economic Justice Unit at Oxfam, South Africa. Dr. Baloy, good evening to you and welcome. Hi, I, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, and yeah, yeah. to all your listeners. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time out to join us. Basani, I want us maybe to start off, um, I guess, uh, with uh, what, what it is that you wanted to achieve as you set out to put this report together. You've worked with a very impressive group of people as researchers, as assistants, editors, the reviewers from the social movement you've worked alongside, uh, and yourself as a coordinator. I'm quite interested, I guess, at the start of the process, what it is that you wanted to achieve. Oh, bless you for that question. I haven't been asked that. Um, and basically what we wanted to achieve was a report that came out of a very deeply participatory uh, process mm. where it in itself becomes part of movement building. And so what we attempted to do was to make the report not be this academic ah, kind of piece. Hello, can you hear Seems me? To have lost Hello? I guess uh, try and reestablish our connection with Basani. We'll uh, come back. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Hey, Basani, I seem to have lost you there for a second. Um, sorry, I didn't catch the last part of what you were saying. Sorry about that. No, basically, the, the, what we attempted to do was to produce a report that could be used as a tool for mobilizing for mobilizing. Mm. Uh, it's quite an extensive report. I mean, it is uh, many pages long. I won't say how many because it will freak people out in terms of reading. But we've also produced uh, a, 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 a summary version that is for popular movements. So the idea is that, you know, um, we need to arm people um, because people know their struggles, right? Sure. Um, but it, our contribution was to arm people with also an analysis of what that is and mm. um, for their own activism as well. And so that is why we worked with um, like a broad range of social movements in, uh, in the conceptualization of the report and its development and then obviously its launch. So the intention is really to use, for it to be used uh, as part of movement building uh, sure. and, and as a tool of activism. Okay. Basani, I want us to maybe start off uh, in the labor market because uh, I think uh, it's well established in the literature that, you know, the inequality in the labor market and inequality in pay is one of the largest drivers, uh, if not the main driver of inequality, and notwithstanding the fact mm -hmm. that you have, you know, millions and millions of people outside of the labor market effectively. 
what were some of the things that uh, certainly in your analysis here, which um, isn't only just about the current moment and where we are, but takes, uh, I guess, uh, you know, also a historical approach in uh, what you looked at, of why we have the kind of uh, nature of labor market inequality that we have in South Africa, and how that continues to reproduce a very gendered uh, and racialized form of inequality? That's a really great question. So historically, we obviously come from, you know, apartheid and, and, and that kind of a context. And uh, where the, the way in which the economy was set up was such that uh, it was extremely extractive in nature, where the types of uh, sectors that uh, uh, became the emphasis of how we would accumulate wealth in this, in this country were sectors that were basically, um, ex- uh, that tended to employ more uh, machinery than they, than they did people, right? Uh, and so uh, that was something that the apartheid government could actually uh, uh, do because all they cared about was really uh, the employment of white people and using uh, black people uh, as a, a form of cheap labor. And then uh, a critical part of that story is the fact that when ch- uh, black cheap labor w- tended to be used, it was uh, of black men and white uh, and black women were excluded from the economy. Mm. And uh, they are seen then, at, they're excluded from the economy uh, but not in a real sense. They're still included, but only as a way of, for, for subsidizing or uh, con- uh, subsidizing uh, uh, the capitalists be- through their unpaid um, uh, care work, right? Because what happens is that the capitalists were underpaying black workers and, where, uh, when, uh, and, and, and black women and their reproductive labor in terms of the, the care work, the cleaning, the cooking, the, the, even uh, uh, the subsistence farming that they were doing was almost subsidizing for, uh, the capitalists for the underpayment of, of black, uh, of black mm. labor, as it were. And so now we uh, get into the 60s where we, and 70s where we are seeing the employment of, uh, of black women um, mostly as domestic workers, uh, uh, some in the retail sector, others in the, in, the, in the textile sector. That is where we see the likes of uh, Emma Mashanini, who is organizing uh, 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 black women uh, workers uh, uh, and just workers in general within the retail sector, right? Um, uh, talking issues of wages and 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 mm. uh, and, and recognition, uh, where uh, organizing in that space was was completely uh, not allowed. Actually, sure. uh, trade sure. unions were not allowed. So, so what has then happened is that currently we have had a macroeconomic uh, framework, right, that has basically constrained even the industrial policy that has attempted mm. to transform. Uh, this structure that I'm talking about, one that is Basani? extremely... Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I, I, yes, 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 I can hear you. And I want us to pause there on that point because I want to give you enough time to make that point. Uh, we need to uh, take a quick spot break. But when we come back from the break, okay, I sorry. want you to continue on that vein just of, uh, I guess, the, the limitations to industrial policy that have arisen as a result of our macroeconomic framework. And uh, we'll uh, also mm-hmm. come back to some of the themes that you've raised and uh, also a report having... 
the secrets to uh, wealth are from uh, one Johan Rupert, and I found that quite interesting. Johan Rupert's entrepreneurial secrets, I should rather say. We'll continue after this. <laughs> FM. It's where you're at. Under the microscope on Metro FM Talk. Seven minutes it is before 9 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. We're discussing the Oxfam South Africa report released yesterday titled Reclaiming Power, Women's Work and Income Inequality. And uh, I'm in conversation with uh, the project coordinator and inequality lead uh, at Oxfam South Africa, Dr. Basani Baloy. And uh, uh, Basani, maybe just uh, to complete the point you were making there on uh, the limitations of industrial policy uh, within our macroeconomic framework and uh, the implications that that has had for employment growth in the South African economy. Well, the point I was making there is that, um, you know, after many years of not having a real industrial uh, policy, uh, that would be one that, uh, attempts to really do the job in terms of um, employing people uh, because uh, there was just a lack of that. We 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 opened up like our trade so that uh, you know we had a lot of competition from uh, other parts of the world where they had more advanced in the, um, uh, industrial uh, uh, bases that basically ruined our industrial base and then. Uh, contributed to, uh, you know, uh, uh, unemployment. Uh, we had, uh, and, you know, we privatized. We did a, a range of uh, policies that basically, mm. uh, and including not even having an industrial policy. And then we fast forward to around uh, 2007, where we have the most coherent industrial policy and subsequent types of industrial policies that we've had since then, or iterations of that industrial policy. Mm. Um, and the attempt at that has been around trying to restructure the economy so that it is more set towards an, a labor-absorbing uh, growth path, right? Um, and this has been constrained because of our macroeconomic framework. Uh, what it, our macroeconomic framework is one that really targets interest rates and price stabilization over and above everything else, and not employment, for instance. Uh, and, and basically, that subjects our very fragile manufacturing sector to, uh, to uh, really high interest rates. We have oh. a macroeconomic uh, framework that, uh, we've, where we've liberalized uh, uh, the, our cap- what we call our, cap- uh, our, um, our capital account. Uh, with the understanding or the intention of attracting uh, uh, inflows of investment from overseas. Uh, there was a political uh, 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 intention there to kind of like destabilize the conglomerates that had, uh, the mm-hmm. white conglomerates and, 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 and the establishment by uh, seeking foreign investment. But what we actually ended up doing was to attract uh, 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 investments that were very short-term in nature, right? That sure, were most sure. concerned about making profits now and not really thinking about mm. building the industrial capabilities sure. that we, that we need. And so, ba- yeah, ba- sorry. No, no, sorry, man. I'm, ju- I'm just quite conscious that uh, we're quickly nearing and running out of time. And there's a very interesting okay. part of your report that I wanted to hear you, uh, your perspective on. This idea of a developmental sort of uh, welfare state. I found that very interesting and I guess um, sort of drawing from the social democratic traditions, 
Uh, and I guess it, it re it's, it's part of recognizing that, uh, you know, a lot of the work that women do within the ambit of the community and the household outside of the formal marketplace is necessary work and uh, work that uh, ideally should be remunerated. Within that framework, what are some of the, I guess, policy measures that you're advocating for uh, on the journey towards this developmental social welfare state um, as a non-market mechanism to try and resolve this uh, a massive challenge of inequality? I think the first bit, just to extend from my previous point in answering that point, is that we need an industrial policy that is far more gender-sensitive because even though we have one, uh, in spite of the, uh, the issues around our macroeconomic framework, it's, it's, extreme, it's one that is extremely uh, geared towards male-dominated sectors, whether they be in the manufacturing sector. So how do we attract more women who are mostly placed in low-wage service uh, jobs and absorb them within the, the, the manufacturing sector, for instance? But it's not only about... Uh, drawing them, I think industrial policy has been one to draw, uh, to, to emphasize manufacturing, but a lot of the times undermining what the care, the care economy actually is and how it actually contributes to uh, ensuring that we have a workforce that is actually uh, ready and prepared uh, uh, for work. And that is really predominantly due to patriarchy, the work of women, right, that are placed in low-wage service jobs that are highly un unrecognized, whether they be in the, in the food sector, the clothing and textile sector, or in, 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 in health care, or in uh, community services. These tend to be uh, not regarded by, uh, in the, uh, by industrial policy. But again, um, it also... Part of the issue then is to actually have some kind of a gender accountable and just, uh, and just budgeting and planning. We have witnessed a, a range of cuts, right, uh, to our budget uh, that have affected key sectors, as I said, which are part of this care economy, whether they be in health, education, water and sanitation. Uh, these are very critical because when we cut our public services, we are actually uh, uh, putting women in bondage, right, because mm -hmm. we are expecting them to fill in, the, uh, in, in these uh, gaps. Uh, through their unpaid care work that they tend to then having to do because then now they have to fetch water because there's no water uh, tanks. Now they are having to take care of the, mm. of the sick because the clinic is run down. All these various things that actually stop them from participating uh, in, in, in the labor market. Part of also what we talk about is that we need, uh, uh, obviously all of this has to be financed. Uh, right, so we talk about issues of having a wealth tax, the use of uh, 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 prescribed assets, which were used sure. in apartheid uh, to actually develop the likes of ESCOM, ISCO, SACO. Mm. Uh, uh, but since 1989, that all has stopped. Right, uh, and, and so and, and so people need to actually think about the history of where ESCOM comes from, and they sure, will see sure. prescribed assets there, and not to see it That's as a threat. Basani, so I don't want us, yeah, I don't want us to give too much away. You don't want to say how long the report is. I'm going to tell some of the people. It's uh, just uh, over 140 pages or so. But I must say it makes for riveting reading. 
So I would encourage uh, uh, all to go and check that out. It is on the Oxfam uh, South Africa website on oxfam.org.za. But uh, Basana, unfortunately, we have run out of time and we're going to have to leave it there for this evening. And uh, once again, encouraging many of our listeners to take a look at that report. Uh, certainly uh, one of the uh, most insightful reports I've read in a long while. Basani, thank you very much. And uh, once again, kudos for the great work uh, done on this report.